Matthew chapter 1, if you turn there with me today, Matthew chapter 1. We just began a series on the book of Matthew. And I know there are some people who say, well, why are we covering Matthew? Because dispensationally, that's really not where we're at today. It's not really having to do with the church. And well, it, it, not directly, but of course, all the scripture has to do with the church. There's application for all of us. Now, I understand, you know, there's the Jews, there's the Gentiles, and there's the church, and the church is made up of Jew and Gentile. The church is not the same as Israel. The church did not replace Israel. We understand that, and we know what the Scripture teaches on that. But nevertheless, there is such important truth in the Gospel of Matthew. I believe it is one of the keys to us understanding what comes after it in the plan of God. I've entitled this today, A Story for All Seasons. And, uh, you know, most people think about Jesus coming into the world, and they usually think about that at Christmas time. While I understand that, the story of Jesus coming into the world is a true story, and really we should actually visit it often because it's so applicable and there are so many blessings to remember when it comes to Jesus coming into the world. We should visit it often. It's foundational to what we believe as Christians. Now, our last time together, we looked at the genealogy of Jesus Christ and the fact that he has the right, had the right, and has the right to the throne of of David. While there was a curse put on Jeconiah, one of David's bloodline, to where no one from Jeconiah's line could sit on the throne of David because of the curse God, nevertheless, had that all taken care of in his plan. And God provided a way for Jesus to, go to, to have the throne of David to be king forever through Mary. Through Mary. And we won't go into detail on that because we did that last time. But here in Matthew 1.16 is where we'll pick up. It says, And Jacob begat Joseph the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. You notice... Jacob begat Joseph. It doesn't say Joseph of whom was born Christ or Joseph the father of Jesus because Joseph wasn't the father of Jesus. The scriptures are very specific in the wording used here. The husband of Mary of whom was born Jesus who is called Christ or the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations, and from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus was on this wise, in this way. When as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph before they came together. It's talking about the consummation of their marriage. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now, as I mentioned just in closing last week, and I wanted to pick up here today where I left off last week, this all points to one of the most vital truths of Christianity. Namely, Jesus was virgin born. Jesus had to be virgin born. How do we know that he was virgin born? Well, the Bible says so, as we see in verse 18, but we, you can also, by the way, look at other passages such as Luke chapter 1 verse 30 through 35 and also here in our text in verse 20. 
But let's cover these points on why the virgin birth is so incredibly important. We touched on them. I just quoted them last time, but let's expand a little bit because it's incredibly important for us to know that. Number one is this. We see the necessity of the virgin birth. Jesus had to be virgin born. Why is that? Let me give you some reasons this morning. First is this. If Jesus wasn't virgin born, he was a sinner and not God. There are many evangelicals today who make the astoundingly heretical, how much stronger can I make it here? (laughs) Statement, declaration, preachers are saying the virgin birth is not that big of an issue. Let me tell you something, folks. Everything we have crumbles if Jesus was not virgin born. Because if he wasn't virgin born, first off, he was a sinner and not God. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man, referring to Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. The only way Jesus could escape being a sinner is that he was virgin born. If he came through Joseph and Mary, he would have been conceived a sinner. He had to some way become a man and yet at the same time escape the inheritance of the sin nature. You notice death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Isaiah, turn there with me, Isaiah in the Old Testament chapter 7. And we will see this come up again in the following verses here through chapter 1. But Isaiah 7, it is quoted in Matthew 1. It says in Isaiah 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now some of the Bibles that came later such as in the 1800s, 1900s, newer revised Bibles. They'll put in in Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a young woman shall conceive. Now, folks, let me say this. It's no sign that a young woman conceives. It happens all the time. And not to get your mind down a side path, but it's happening right now somewhere in the world. Okay, we live in a big world with a lot of people. That's not a sign. There's no sign. Notice this. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. This prophecy, 600 years before Jesus ever came. This is an amazing prophecy that God would reveal this to Isaiah to write down to be preserved for us. Okay, now let's go back, and we're going to stop back in Romans again. So first we see if Jesus wasn't virgin born, he was a sinner and not God. Secondly, if Jesus was a sinner, if Jesus was a sinner, he owes a sin debt to pay in hell. He owes that for himself. Why do I say that? Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death. If he was a sinner, he had wages to pay. Or his payment for being a sinner, let me put it that way, his penalty is a death sentence, which would be eternal separation from God forever in hell. If he was a sinner. Let's move on. If he 
has to pay for his own sin. And if he's a sinner, that's what he had to do. But if he has to pay for his own sin, mankind, the rest of us, we have no sinless substitute for us. In other words, yes, we have that debt on us. The wages of sin is death. We know that we are sinners. Therefore, we need a payment for our sin. Okay, well, what do you mean? Here's what it means. If I have to pay for my own sin, I'm going to end up in hell. That's what it means. Wouldn't it be nice if somebody, if some way, if God, if there was some way for God to provide a way to where I didn't have to do that? Otherwise, I'm in eternal trouble here. Hell is not a, a two-year sentence or something like that. It is forever. If Jesus has to pay for his own sin, then mankind has no sinless substitute. But look with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter 1 and verse 18. Peter is writing to believers here, and he says in 1 Peter 1, 18, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed, redemption, to redeem means to deliver by paying a price. In other words, we are in a slave market of sin. We are bound there. We are kept there. Someone comes along and says, I will make the payment to redeem you, to buy you back. And that someone is God himself. Okay, God, how are you going to do that? My sins have to be paid for. That's the justice of God. But the grace of God provided a way for that to take place. And it was through his sinless son. Now, if Jesus is a sinner, he has to pay for his own sin. And we have no sinless substitute. However, scripture says, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, manner of life, received by tradition of your fathers, but you were redeemed with, with what? The precious blood of Jesus Christ. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. Watch this. As of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Without blemish and without spot. Now, Peter, being a Jew, was very familiar with the Passover lamb. He understood the history of the Passover and that in the Passover, Paul understood it as well being a Jew. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5 that Christ is our Passover. He understood that, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the whole idea of the Passover and the Passover lamb. It had to be a lamb without blemish and without spot, therefore acceptable to God. Well, Jesus is God in the flesh. If he was a sinner, he wasn't God in the flesh, but he was not a sinner, therefore he is God in the flesh, and he was able to do this, and he was our payment, the precious blood of Christ. By the way, his blood had to be shed because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, no forgiveness of sins. Okay, let's move on. So what do we have so far? If Jesus wasn't virgin born, he was a sinner and not God. If Jesus was a sinner, he owes a sin debt to pay in hell. If he has a sin debt to pay of his own in hell, mankind has no sinless substitute. So no one can do it for me. Let's move on. If we don't have a sinless substitute, the plan of salvation is destroyed. There is no plan of salvation. There is no plan of deliverance. There is no escape from hell. None. No way whatsoever. Go back to Matthew chapter 1. 
And we have this wonderful, wonderful declaration in the word of God. You know what? Christmas is coming in just a moment. Verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son, sinless, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from, not Roman oppression, it's bigger than that, from their sins, from their sins. Which leads us to our last point on that. If the plan of salvation is destroyed, everyone who has ever been born or will be born will die and go to hell, including Jesus, if he was not virgin born. But he was virgin born, and therefore the only one in all of history who would be qualified to pay for our sins so we would not have to. He did it for us. And that was acceptable to the Father, and therefore salvation is provided to anyone who will trust Christ as Savior. You see, one of the main reasons our salvation is secure is because Jesus Christ is God. He is God, he is eternal, and he cannot lie. He has bought and paid for our salvation through his shed blood. And when we trust in him as our savior, he gives us everlasting life. And he has pledged and promised that he will never lose us. I said, well, what if a Christian strays or turns his back on God? He has promised that he will never lose us. Well, that sounds outrageous to me. It's because you don't know how sinful you are and how lost you are. We ought to be shouting with joy that God would provide for us a no-so salvation, that God would provide for us everlasting life. And it's all based on what Christ did for us because we cannot do it for ourselves. So I'll pay for my own sin. Will you? You'll spend forever in hell? Well, I think I can, I'm going to behave myself. God, God will be pleased if I, you know what? Yes, God is pleased that we behave, but it doesn't take care of your sin. Sin has to be paid for. So our first point this morning is the necessity of the virgin birth. Jesus had to be virgin born. But let's move on. Number two is so important. The challenge of the virgin birth. Now this is where it gets very human. The challenge is in what the virgin birth is. The virgin birth can only be true if it was a bona fide miracle from God. It's the only way. Matthew, you're in Matthew chapter 1, look at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus was on this wise, in this way. When his mother, Mary, now watch the words carefully now, don't let your mind stray. When as his mother, Mary was a spouse to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. I said, oh yeah, I'm familiar with these verses. Wait a minute. Do you understand how life-shattering this is? This is amazing. Mary was a spouse to Joseph. Now, what does that mean? People say today, oh, that means engaged. Well, in a sense it does, but we tend to look at that from an American perspective, okay? Being a spouse was something different than that in the Jewish realm and in the Old Testament realm. Bible Exposition Commentary says this, and I quote, To the Jewish people in that day, betrothal, or that's what a spouse means, engagement, if you want to call it that, was equivalent to marriage. 
except that the man and woman did not live together. They were called husband and wife. And at the end of the engagement period, the marriage was consummated physically. If a betrothed woman became pregnant, in other words, during that betrothal period, they were seen as married, but not obviously not consummated yet. If during that time she became pregnant, it was considered adultery, not just fornication, adultery, according to Deuteronomy 22, 13 through 21. And according to the Old Testament law, she could be stoned to death because of that. Now, here's where this gets human. Joseph, now remember, the virgin birth is a miracle of God. It doesn't happen. Virgin births don't happen, okay? Joseph loved her, and what he decided to do, he decided to put her away, the scriptures say in verse 19, privily or privately. Look at verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, you notice he was called her husband? Even though they technically were not consummated in marriage yet, he was called her husband. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, the word just means righteous, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily or privately. Now this term, put her away, this is the term used in Scripture for divorce. He was going to divorce her, and according to Old Testament law, he could do that because she proved unfaithful during their period of being espoused one to another. Now, Imagine how his head was spinning. Think about it, folks. See, we're on the backside of this looking back. Oh, yes, I'm familiar with the Christmas story. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. He had no clue this was coming. One day she says to him, "Um, I'm pregnant. He loves her deeply. But it's like, what? I'm pregnant. But I haven't been unfaithful to you. Now, I'm sure they're familiar with biology back then. That doesn't happen. What do you mean you haven't been unfaithful to me and yet you're pregnant? That's not possible. This doesn't happen. Imagine it. What is this all about? This doesn't happen. This is impossible. There's another side to this. He must have been crushed. He loved her. The very fact, by the way, that he puts her away privately shows how much he loved her. He could have said, you're not going to humiliate me. You know, yeah, I'm going to take the option. I'm going to have you stoned. But that's not what he did. He must have been crushed. Okay, what are they going to do? Who's going to believe this? Word gets out, she's pregnant. And yet the two of you are espoused. Joseph, what are you going to do? He decided, okay, I'll just, she's unfaithful. By the way, do you understand, folks? He didn't believe it at this point. Do you understand that from the text? He's going to put her away. That means he didn't believe what she was saying. How else does it happen? It's impossible. Virgin births are impossible. By the way, his reaction proves the child wasn't his. Well, verse 20. But while he thought, and the word thought means to ponder it carefully, I believe his love for her was great enough to where I don't understand this. How can this be? What am I going to do? How are we going to deal with this? What's the best way to handle this? I don't want her stoned. I don't want her humiliated. That's why he was willing to put her away, divorce her, 
but do it in a private way. While he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, you notice no question about him being of the lineage of David. Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. God brought divine intervention into the situation. Verse 21, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus, the name means Jehovah, is salvation, or God our Savior. Joseph, the child, was put there. The seed was put there by the Holy Spirit of God. No man did it. God did it. And the one that you're going to bring into the world is God, who is our Savior. I hope he was sitting down hearing all this. This is amazing. Which leads us to our third point today, the clear declaration of Scripture of the virgin birth. Verse 22. Now all this was done. Oh, wait a minute before I move on. Okay. This happens. The angel talks to him in a dream. He gets the information. He accepts the information. But I want you to know, folks, that is wonderful, and we know that to be true, but you also need to understand this. He was still going to have to deal with this because nobody was going to believe it. He believed it because Gabriel told him. But who's going to believe it? You might say, well, well, I don't know if that's a big... It was a big deal because I'll tell you what, if you read through the Gospel of John... The other gospels even, no one, well, very few people believed he was God in the flesh. As a matter of fact, in John, they actually give insults, hurl insults to Jesus, talking about him being illegitimate. He carried that with him. I don't think we give enough credit to Joseph and what a godly man he must have been. There's not a lot written about him in scripture. People say, when did he die? We don't know when he died. Maybe in Jesus' childhood, maybe in his teen years, we just don't know. Maybe at the beginning of his ministry, we just don't know. But the point is this. He was godly enough to say, you know what? This is something God has said. I believe it, and I'm going to take care of this as best as I can and handle it. So we see the clear declaration. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, which we've just read in Isaiah seven fourteen. this is a quote, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Now it's interesting in verse 23, the word virgin in verse 23 is the Greek word parthenos, and is always translated in the New Testament as virgin. Never as young woman. Never as young woman. Not only that, but in something called the Septuagint. Some of you are familiar with the Septuagint. What it is, uh, the Septuagint is a Greek translation of the Old Testament. In other words, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, a little bit in Aramaic. The Septuagint comes along and it takes the Hebrew Aramaic and it translates it into Greek. In other words, it's using the same Greek words as what you have the New Testament written in. 
And by the way, that was written some 200 years before Jesus came. And in Isaiah 7:14, where it says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive, it uses the word parthenos there, knowing exactly that was what made it a sign or a miracle, is that he was virgin born. Verse 24, Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, verse 25, and knew her not, that means physically, was not consummated, the marriage was not consummated physically, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. You have full cooperation of Joseph in this whole event. John chapter 1 and verse 14. I couldn't help as I was preparing this week of thinking of how this was such a beautiful cross-reference. John 1, 14, look at it with me. It says this, And the Word was made flesh. In that little phrase, you have the entire story that you have in Matthew chapter 1. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, talking about Jesus, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was not 50% grace, 50% truth. No, he was 100% grace, 100% truth. Now, let me just close with a couple very important points. Pay close attention. A lot of you know I was raised Roman Catholic. I love Roman Catholics. Maybe you're here today and you're Roman Catholic. I'm not here to be nasty or insulting in any way, but we do have a responsibility to stand on the Word of God. All right? So I want you to know that. Two important points concerning Mary herself. The first is this. There is no doubt from Scripture that Mary and Joseph had children after Jesus of their own. All right? The Bible is very clear on this. They had other children. Why do I say that? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Why do I say that? You might say, well, well, pastor, that's just, that makes sense. I mean, he didn't know her until Jesus was born. Yeah, but in that statement, it's kind of inferred, isn't it, that after that he did, and they had children? And that is actually what the Bible teaches. You might say, I, I still don't get it while you're bringing this up. Because the Roman Catholic Church, you may not know this, some of you aren't Roman Catholic. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that Mary lived her entire life as a virgin. Her entire life. They deny that Jesus had brothers and sisters. And yet, what does God say? Matthew 13, 55 People were talking about Jesus, and they say, is not this the carpenter's son? By the way, do you see the denial that he's virgin born? He came from, this is the carpenter's son. This is Joseph's son. Now watch this. Is not this the carpenter's son? And is not this his mother called Mary and his brothers? Brethren means brothers. James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? Now the Catholic answer to that is, well, it's talking about spiritually. That's not what it says. And that's reading into the text. 
No, and we know, by the way, according to Scripture, such as the epistle of James was written by Jesus' half-brother, James. Why did I call half-brother? Well, because of the virgin birth. Okay? So this is very important, and it's important, by the way, to understand this. There were other children from Joseph and Mary after the birth of Jesus. But secondly, and this is incredibly important, There is also no doubt from Scripture that Mary was not sinless. She was not sinless, but a sinner who needed a Savior. I say, well, that's your opinion. No, this is Mary's opinion. Let me show that to you. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Now, why do I even bring this up? You might say, well, that's a kind of a no-brainer. We know that. Uh, 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 Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The Roman Catholic Church does not believe that. The Roman Catholic Church has the doctrine of what's called the Immaculate Conception. You might say, well, that just has to do with Jesus being virgin born. No, it's not referring to Jesus. It's referring to Mary. Did you know that? The Roman Catholic Church has the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, which states that Mary was born without sin and that she never did sin. They teach that she was taken up to heaven by the Lord and is now the queen of heaven, and she is to be worshipped. This is false doctrine. This is false teaching. That is idolatry. But you will see in some Catholic churches where Mary has a greater prominence than Jesus does. As a matter of fact, it's very interesting. You go overseas and you can go into Catholic churches, and Mary is actually elevated higher than Jesus is that she is the main focus of that church. And that's why Catholics pray to Mary, and that's why they have her in such a high position, because she, they've been taught that she's sinless, and she was always sinless, like Jesus. This is absolutely false. And by the way, Mary would cringe. I don't know if when she went to be with the Lord, and later on when the Catholic Church formed and this doctrine became an issue, I don't know if heaven informed her of that or not? Hopefully not. That'd kind of ruin your day up there, wouldn't it? Okay, Luke 1, By the way, she was a very godly woman. She was that, and we thank the Lord for that. Luke 1, And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in who? God my Savior. If she needed a Savior, she's a sinner. If she wasn't a sinner, she didn't need a Savior. Yet in Matthew one twenty one, which we've already seen, it says this, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. You see, folks, we have a sin problem, and Jesus is the answer to the sin problem. And yes, he was the answer even for Mary. Now that is an astounding truth. Just think about this. Many places in Scripture, Jesus would do something, say something, and the Scriptures give statements such as, and she pondered these things in her heart. Imagine bringing God into the world, holding the Creator of the world in your arms, being mother to that beautiful child, the life-impacting things that happened as he was growing up. He was different. In some ways, very much the same. 
but he was different. He had no sin nature. I just assume he never got spanked. And if he did get spanked, he shouldn't have been because he can't sin. But he grew, grew up with brothers and sisters. And I will assume they did get spanked. And I wonder if there was some uh, jealousy going on there. You never spank him. He never does anything wrong. That doesn't mean he didn't make human mistakes, but he never sinned. There's a difference. Because he did learn, right? The Bible tells us he learned. Here's the point today, folks. Listen, we have the perfect Savior, the one and only one qualified to be a payment for my sin and your sin. And you need a payment for your sin. You need a payment for your sin. If you're here today and you're not sure where you're going when you die, I've covered all this today in detail to get you to understand Jesus was the only one in all of eternity qualified to be a substitute for payment for your sin so you don't have to pay for it. And he came into the world and he went to the cross and he did exactly that. If this is you and me, and this wallet represents our sin, we're all sinners as we've seen already. In Adam, all sin. We're all sinners. God loves us. He hates our sin, but he loves us. To get to heaven, we have to be sinless. In the eyes of God, they all have to be forgiven. We need a payment for sin. But we're sinners. And God says if we pay for our sins, if we die with our sins, we'll be lost forever in hell. You can't get to heaven with even one sin because it's a perfect place. To get in, you've got to be sinless in the eyes of God. How are you going to do that? We're born sinners. We do sin. Therefore, we're disqualified. Our good works won't pay for sin. That's an invention of religion. Religion has invented that, that being good will take away your sin. Being good has never taken away a sin. We need a payment for our sins, according to God. You can heap a whole lifetime of good works on top of that. doesn't take it away. I love the children's song. What shall wash away my sins? Nothing but the black. Actually, it's not a children's song, but they sing it, and we all should. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole? Again, nothing but the blood of Jesus. God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, virgin born, lived a perfect life. His whole purpose on coming was to save his people from their sins. He went to the cross. He took my sin and yours upon himself, and he paid for it. He was buried. He came back from the dead to prove it was done. And he tells us in the word of God, if you will believe in him, trust in him that he did that for you, he will give you everlasting life. It's faith alone in Jesus Christ alone that brings salvation. And it's everlasting. You know, people, sometimes they don't, it doesn't occur to them that Jesus is the one who said John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, he was referring to himself, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. When you believe all your sin is taken away, if all your sin is gone, your whole lifetime of sin, there's nothing to send you to hell and there's nothing to keep you out of heaven. Would you trust Christ as your savior today? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit 
www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.